Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. And a very festive July 4th weekend to you. If you're just about to fire up the grill, well, then pour yourself a cocktail or a lemonade. Sit back and relax because the delicious dialogue starts right here and right now as I welcome you to my kitchen. Recipes and tips for summer's marvelous meals are shared on this show. This hour, you'll gain ideas for how to eat well and live well because this show is for people who love to eat. Each week, I'll tell you about my favorite wines, cutting edge recipes, foods, restaurants, gadgets, and more. You'll hear from distinguished authors, artisans, and chefs, and as they share their knowledge, we'll dish on everything having to do with fabulous food to feed your soul, and I hope that you will tune in every Sunday. You can always visit chefjamie.com to become a more confident cook, as I am always serving up seconds, and you'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen with my daily dish. Let me tell you what is on your plate today. We are going to get our grill on in just a moment and talk about some really remarkable ribs coming up this hour as well. Dan Butner is with us. He is the author of The Blue Zones, and you know all about a long, healthy life being no accident if you have followed this National Geographic fellow and New York Times bestselling author. He's going to give you the tools to eat and live longer. Also, Chef Jean-Christian Jury stops by later in the hour. We're going to dish on over 500 of the best vegan recipes from around the world, and you won't want to miss it, so please stay tuned. Okay. Fire up the grill now because it is summertime. And I like to start the show with a technique, a lesson, a a masterful idea of how you can be a better cook in your own kitchen or rather standing outside that backyard barbecue. It's time to be the best grill master ever. And the secret to mastering ribs is really in the preparation and the flavor infusion. So let's have a rib fest, shall we? Sit back and listen, because you are about to become a rib king or queen. Now, when it comes to ribs for especially this July 4th celebratory weekend or all throughout the summer, the first thing you have to consider is that you have to choose your preferred style of ribs. Now, I am a baby back lover. I like tender fall off the bone meat and riblets just large enough to hold on to and gnaw on. If you happen to like the Flintstone style ribs, then you want to consider the meatier St. Louis cut, or you could go for beef ribs if you want, if you really want that hearty chew. When it comes to my recipes, I suggest you choose baby backs or spare ribs. I love pork ribs. I love that they cook tender. And then all you need to do is follow three simple steps. You want to season, roast, and grill. So when it comes to the, let's start with the baby back ribs. They come from the backside of the pig near the loin. They tend to be more tender than the other slabs. They also require less cooking and they absorb flavor really well. Now the spare ribs that I mentioned, they come from the belly of the hog. That's where bacon comes from. And they're larger in size and they're very meaty. 
And they're a little less tender than the loin back ribs, but still delicious. Now, you always want to start with a freshly rinsed rack of ribs, whether you get them out of the package or if your butcher gives you the rack of your choice from the glass case. Now, there's a shiny surface on the underside of every rack of ribs. It's a membrane. It's attached to the bones. And if your butcher doesn't remove it, then I suggest you do so. You will create added tenderness, and it's really very easy to do. You grab a paper towel because the skin tends to be very slippery, and you start at the narrow end of the rack of ribs. You might use a paring knife to lift up the end of the membrane from the meat, and you use the paper towel to grip the membrane, and you pull across the rack of ribs to remove it. And that skin, that shiny surface, the membrane, usually comes off in one large piece. Once you master it, you'll never forget to remove it again because it does add, as I said, tremendous tenderness to your ribs. So now you know the chef's secret. Moving on to seasoning. I love a dry rub when it comes to ribs. Fabulous flavor, right? And one that you can create your own flavor profile preference. Now, a good rub will permeate if it's left on the ribs for 24 hours before cooking. So you've got plenty of time, whether you're celebrating tomorrow or Tuesday, the actual holiday of July 4th. But if you happen to be running behind on time, about four hours will do when it comes to your summer soirees later in the season. Now, I like a well-balanced rub that has salt and spice and a touch of sweetness, Perfect for pork, by the way. Um, You don't want to go too heavy on the sugar because it means that the ribs will burn too quickly. But a standard dry rub is chili powder, brown sugar, kosher salt, and ground pepper. I use a quarter cup of chili powder, two tablespoons of brown sugar, a tablespoon of salt, and a teaspoon of ground pepper. And I'll post my standard summer dry rub once again on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram right now at Chef Jamie Gwen. Now you can add smoked paprika, cumin, garlic powder, cayenne, dried herbs if you like. You can make it your own. You you can also consider a wet marinade. That's a combination of, let's say, bourbon, brown sugar, and soy sauce. That's my simple go-to. But I do love the dry rub method to impart that flavor during the cooking. Now, uh, if you're a master griller, you're about to shiver in your boots. So please forgive me because I'm about to say the word oven. Yes. If you are a low and slow rib type, then you've already fired up your charcoal grill and you've begun drinking cocktails and you have a crowd of people coming over and you're going to get the ribs ready way in advance. And after you've dry rubbed them overnight, you're going to wrap them in aluminum foil and you're going to add a tablespoon or two of beer or bourbon or even apple juice and you're going to get them cooking, right? And you have all the time in the world. But I am a girl at the grill, more specifically a girl at the gas grill. And so I like immediate gratification when it comes to grilling. Immediate grill gratification, I should call it. And so, yes, I roast in the oven prior to grilling. I know. You're quivering right now, but it's true. During the warm summer months, I actually do this at night, the night before I'm about to grill. So when the sun sets and the house cools down, I fire up the oven to 350 and I place those same foil wrapped slabs of ribs on a baking sheet. And again, they've been dry rubbed. They've had a little bit of liquid 
bourbon, beer, apple juice added to the foil packets. I stack the packets on a baking sheet and I roast the ribs until they're really tender about an hour and a half. Then I let them cool and I throw them in the fridge overnight. Now, if you're doing it day of, they don't need to be refrigerated, of course, but when you're ready to party, you take them out of the foil packet and you throw them directly on the grill. And this is when you start to baste with your favorite barbecue sauce or sweet chili glaze. And they only take about 10 to 15 minutes if they're at room temperature to get all smoky and yummy and with grilled deliciousness. And as I said, yes, I am a gas grill girl. I love my Twin Eagles barbecue, but I like immediate gratification. And so that's how I master ribs on the grill. They're tender, fall off the bone. They're glazed and gooey on the outside. And then I serve them with extra sauce for dipping. And I always enjoy the praise. It's true. Because with these tips, you will have made really remarkable ribs. Now you can find lots of recipe inspiration, by the way, at chefjamie.com. So do check it out and let me know how your ribs turn out. You can always email me, jamie at chefjamie.com at any time. And I'll share my best grilling tips or of course, answer your culinary queries. Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com is my email address direct to me. Okay, here's some food news this week for great grillers, by the way. Do you want the newest grilling gadget? Oh, yes, you do. Outdoor Edge is the company that combines design and sharp steels and hand craftsmanship when it comes to celebrating the barbecue season. And they make all the grilling tools that you need. And they are just introducing their new illuminating grill tongs. Talk about lighting up your next backyard barbecue, right? So the grill beam tongs and the grill beam spatula are available now at retailers nationwide, or you can go online at outdooredge.com. And I think that's super cool. Don't you? Okay. Don't touch your dial because there is lots more delicious conversation coming up in your radio. Fabulous food to feed your soul delicious insight and inspiration. More right after this. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen. I'm glad you're listening. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If food is your fetish, well, then I am supplying the tools. A long, healthy life is no accident. It begins with good genes. It also depends on good habits. If you adopt the right lifestyle, experts say chances are you may live up to a decade longer. So what is the formula for success? Well, National Geographic fellow and New York Times bestselling author of Blue Zones, Dan Buettner, travels the world to find the secrets to living longer, healthier lives. In 2009, he launched the Blue Zones Project, the largest preventative healthcare project in the U.S., 
which has improved the health of more than 5 million Americans. Of course, you read his number one bestseller, Blue Zones, and his third book, The Blue Zones Solution, has just released, giving you the tools, the recipes, the stories to eat and live longer. And I am delighted that Dan Buettner is here to feed your soul. Hi, Dan. Very glad to have you. I'm more delighted to be here. Well, thank you. Okay. I am an avid follower of yours. I have read your books. I find it fascinating that for over a decade now, as a National Geographic explorer, you have traveled the globe to understand and share your insights about longevity. And the longevity you find is in hot spots. They're called blue zones, right? So just give us a little bit of background. Tell us where those blue zones are and what you've found of late. Yeah, so it started in the early 2000s. And the big job first was to find confirmed areas where people live the longest. And we hired population scientists known as demographers to pinpoint that. It's a big exercise. But once you find them, because we know that only 20% of how long we live is dictated by genes, the other 80% is lifestyle and environment, we could pretty much reverse engineer longevity. Uh, We actually went to these places, uh, synthesized the available research, uh, but then identified the common denominators of what is contributing to longevity no matter where you go in the world. And the five areas, we call them blue zones areas, uh, Okinawa, Japan, the longest-lived women in the world, longest-lived mm-hmm. men are in Sardinia, Italy, in the highlands, 14 mm-hmm. villages in the Noro province, uh, Ikaria, Greece, where people not only live a long time, but uh, virtually are, are free of dementia. In Latin America, it's the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, and then in the United States, is among the Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, California, just southeast of Los Angeles. So what are they doing that we're not? If they can deter dementia, if they can prevent diabetes, heart disease, obesity, those are the three top-ranking, unfortunately, in the U.S., greatest causes of death, Right. How, how do we learn directly from them? Well, let me first give you some of the characteristics, and then I'll give you the unifying secret, for lack of a better word. Thank so, you. First of all, they live in environments where they're always nudged to move. I know this is, is mostly food shows, but they live in a place where every time they go to a restaurant or to a grocery store or a friend's house, it occasions a walk. They have sacred daily rituals, often around eating that uh, gets them to slow down, it lowers the chronic inflammation of everyday life. They can identify their sense of purpose. And I would say most importantly in the non-food area, uh, they have a social network of friends who influence them positively. In Okinawa, it's called a moai. And most of the time, those are there's a few people in that network who are vegetarian completely, but their friends whose idea of recreation is gardening or walking and they're friends who keep you engaged, and and that makes a big difference for the long run. No doubt. And by the way, just so you know, Dan, we talk about everything here, food, tech, travel, health. I mean, we're about lifestyle, so it's it's not just about the food. Although I, I am dying to know, because as I said, I've read your books, what did you eat today? Like what I would like to know what you've taken in all of your travels and your journeys and your pros and what you've taught us 
And as you continue to with a, another Blue Zones book um, on the horizon um, and this Blue Zones solution, which I happen to love because I feel like you gave us the tools, the recipes. Did you have lentils and beans for breakfast? Are you a vegetarian after your research? I am a vegetarian after the research. You are. And I, I've learned to like savory breakfast because most of the time our cereals tend to have too many, uh, too much sugar in them. So right. I had minestrone, which is essentially a bean and vegetable soup from Sardinia. That's what you had for breakfast. Uh, yeah, I batch it ahead of time. Huh. And, Very uh, smart. Yeah, so it doesn't send your blood sugar level soaring like a cereal often does. Of course. Yeah, and uh, and then I just had a smoothie with green vegetables, coconut milk. And uh, peanut butter, add a little sweetness to it. Sure. And so, hmm. it's, you know, once you sort of get in the habit of eating this way, it becomes easy, and you crave it. Yes. And uh, you feel kind of crappy when you when you when you default back to old ways of eating with burgers and chips and sodas, etc. I can certainly understand that. I will tell you, I'm I'm far from a vegetarian, not my proudest statement. But I but I will say when I eat clean. When I'm consuming more fruits and vegetables, when I'm lean in my meals, I feel good. I can tell the difference. And it's a testament to what you're speaking about. I want to take a step back to that social atmosphere conversation because I find that really interesting as well. Surrounding yourself with people who encourage and motivate that very positive mindset has a tremendous influence, does it not? So if your three best friends are obese and unhealthy, there's a 150% better chance that you'll be overweight yourself. <sighs> wow. So if your friends sort of sit around, drink beer and eat burgers, when you go over to see them, guess what you're going to eat? Uh, conversely, if your friends are eating plant-based or vegetarian, just the, hanging out with people you like anyway your health behaviors are going to be shaped in a positive way. And because friends are long-term adventures, it's far more effective than trying to adopt a quote-unquote diet. Okay, so it's not just what we eat or where we live, but who, whom we associate with and how we choose Correct. to live our lives. Um, I'll go back to food, though, because I often do. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the recipes. A lot of stews and vegetable-based ratatouilles of sorts in the book uh, I notice a lot of cabbage, a lot of the legumes, uh, the recipes that you've compiled from around the world and these blue zones, do they all have superfoods in common? What do they share? The fundamental ingredients and longevity recipes, all the recipes in the book are the following. About 90 to 95% of dietary intake are plant-based foods. They do eat meat, but meat you only see about five times a month. And meat is looked at not as the, the the main act on the plate, but rather a condiment. But the pillars of longevity diets, and if chefs, I would love nothing more than to see chefs or even cooks at home unleash their culinary ingenuity on the following four foods. Greens, yes, uh, associated with longevity in every blue zones. Whole grains, nuts. If you're eating about a handful of nuts a day, it's probably adding two to, two to three years to your life expectancy. And the fourth big one, and the cornerstone of every longevity diet in the world, is beans. And if you can figure out how to get about a cup of beans into your daily diet, it's probably adding three or four years to your life. We're living long, healthy lives with the Blue Zones Solution. More with author Dan Butner right after this. 
We're back on this July 4th holiday weekend. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Author, National Geographic Fellow, and New York Times bestseller Dan Butner is here. And we're dishing on the Blue Zones solution to eat and live longer. It's very much a conflict with a lot of the diets we see today to lose weight. Cut nuts and cheese and you'll lose five pounds or otherwise. But we're not thinking about the nutritional factor, the lifestyle component of it. And what I love is that your research proves the testament to the fact that these people are living longer and they're living well. And we need to follow that historical evidence, which you provide us, to live healthier and better and longer. Yeah, so all I say is here are the longest-lived people in the world, and there's no dispute. It's simple math. The people are living longer here. And then here's what they all have in common. So these dietary uh, ingredients are all in place. And to your point of a bigger lifestyle, there's a cluster of behaviors. I think of it as collagen. You know, collagen kind of holds your, your, your skin in place and keeps you young-looking. Um, diets are impossible to maintain in isolation, but if you surround the right kind of eating with the right kind of people and you set up your home in the right, in the right way and you have a sense of purpose that keeps you motivated to eat in the right way, that, then it becomes sustainable for long enough so we don't get those diseases you mentioned that foreshorten our lives. And that's the name of the game when it comes to longevity. And I try to give a pretty clear prescriptive and blue zone solution on how, on how to do that ourselves. Yeah, no doubt. And you have very well. If you've just tuned in, by the way, you're late. Dan Butner is here. He is the New York Times bestselling author and the National Geographic fellow who, of course, created uh, Blue Zones and the books, the series, and uh, the initiative to better the U.S. with his Blue Zones project, a a healthcare project. Talk to us, if you would, before I let you go, Dan, about the initiative itself and how you are trying to engage community leaders in the U.S. to understand your work and how we can make America healthier, live longer, live better. So if somebody's overweight in this country, it's probably not their fault. Hmm. Obesity has tripled in, in the last 30 years, and it's not because people are lazy. It's our environment have cha- has changed. So in order to reverse that, we have to, we have to re-engineer our environments. And uh, we're mostly hired by Blue Cross Blue Shield plans and hospital systems to work with city governments to help them uh, bring in food policies that favor fruit and vegetables over fast foods and sodas and chips. Uh, we, in, in the cities we work in, we get up to half of all restaurants getting Blue Zone certification, which helps them engineer out unneeded food and diet. Uh, we Blue Zone certify grocery stores, and then individuals take a Blue Zone pledge. We usually get about 20% of individuals, and it's this idea of unleashing not a silver bullet, but silver buckshot, nudges and defaults that make the healthy choice not only easy, but unavoidable. And it seems it's working fantastically. I thought it was absolutely fabulous to read chapter nine of Blue Zone Solution, because you're trying to blue zone the pork state. 
Iowa ranked 19th on the list at the time when it came to uh, the least healthiest lifestyles, correct? Yes, and, and they, they moved up to number 10 in the time we were there. So Fabulous. But our biggest success actually is the beach cities of, of Los Angeles where we saw about a 18% drop in the, in the collective weight of the community, about 2,900 fewer obese people in the five years we were there, mm-hmm. and that's against California controls. So it gives America hope that we don't have to just continue to be like frogs in that uh, pot of water with the temperature rising, that we can actually do something about it and reverse the curve. No doubt. Okay, so if we start today on uh, using your Blue Zone solution, give us one thing we could do right now that would extend our life, better our lives, fulfill our lives greater. Just one thing today. Take stock of your immediate social network, Hmm. your five best friends, and make sure if you don't have a vegetarian friend, you go out and find a vegetarian friend. (laughs) Say that's number one. Everybody needs a vegetarian friend. Dan, will you be my vegetarian friend? I've got my hand is up in the air waving. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) I I happen to have fine vegetarian friends, I must say, to add uh, to the to you and I and the group per se. um, And they're they're very chef worthy. So uh, so you'll be in a good circle and I will take it on to call myself a vegetarian more than one day a week to feel well, live well, live longer. Congratulations to you on the new book. And thank you for continuing to do the research and share the wealth because um, you are making the U.S., no doubt, and the world a better place. And I think that the information is is so very valuable. Well, right back to you. I'm proud to be on your show. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. He is Dan Butner. He is the founder of Blue Zones, and he is helping Americans live longer, healthier lives as the delicious conversation continues. In 2007, Chef Jean-Christian Jury opened La Mano Verde in Berlin, a destination for discerning diners that became a phenomenon. His rich and satisfying vegan dishes, inspired by his extensive travels around the globe, enticed palates, and earned him worldwide acclaim. This fall, he will open the world's most advanced and modern plant-based vegan academy in Thailand. But in the interim, he is sharing his extraordinary secrets. Vegan, the cookbook, just released. It is a 500-page manual of recipes that will satisfy vegans and vegetarians and omnivores alike. An extraordinarily impressive manual, and Jean-Christian Jury is here to dish, and I am so glad to have you. Hi, Chef. Hi. <laughs> Congratulations to you. This is, this is really an encyclopedia of vegan recipes. If you would... Tell us about your wake-up call, how you came to love vegan cuisine. I was not, it was not love at the first sight. I was in <laughs> London uh, running a lot of restaurants, at, at one point three restaurants uh, at the same time. And basically I had a very poor diet, and I talk back 2001. Poor diet, long, long days of working like hell, you know, because like every big city, it's quite a tense life for a chef starting very early at the market and finishing at one or two o'clock in the morning so my heart gave gave up uh, twice in six months i had two heart failures and then the doctor said to me listen jean christian uh 
you have to make a decision here because your diet is very poor. <clears throat> your body needs energy. You need to do something about So I started to study uh, what he was telling me, and I found out that he was completely right. It's like a car, you know, no gasoline, no distance right. for the body is the same, no energy because you don't have the, the right food. So I feel so much better after now over 11 years being vegan. I thought it was very inspiring to tour the globe with you as I read through the recipes because there's wonderful inspiration in all of these um, ethnic cultures and the countries that we um, find wonderful flavors from and often newfound flavors. So if we could share some of the recipes, like I wanted to know more about baked hummus from Israel. We know hummus in the U.S. We eat it cold out of the container, but there's something wonderful about it warm. Yeah, hummus basically is one of the oldest foods on the planet. And of course, he has many influences, starting with uh, Palestinian at that time, and uh, modern Iran today, um, going to India, everybody was cooking uh, a kind of hummus, because it was a very easy and convenient way of cooking, and fast. And, you know, using a mortar and a pillar was, was something very easy on that time. And food is always related to history also. So every time new civilization came out, of course, they moved food to a new region. And hummus is one of uh, the dishes you can find basically today on half of the planet, sometimes with different names. Okay, Chef, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, more on the virtues of being vegan with Chef Jean-Christian Jury right after this. Happy grilling weekend to you, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. I'm sure that Chef has some vegan grilling recipes up his sleeve. Chef Jean Christian Jury is here, and we're satisfying vegans, vegetarians, and omnivores alike. There is something beautiful about the many styles of curry around the globe, and you share um, a an eggplant and yogurt curry that I can't wait to make. That's a tradition, for example, in every mountainous region where you have a lot of, of sheep or goats. Um, they have a kind of cuisine. They always mix hot and, and cold. They add uh, a kind of yogurt deep on the top uh, who makes it very creamy, and it's a wonderful way of cooking. Mm. So what I did, I just created basically vegan yogurt, 
uh, I create that with milk coming from almonds or cashews or pecan nuts. Depend what kind of fresh nuts I can find yes. in the region I am. And uh, you're going to be surprised, but any milk made with nuts reacts the same way by fermentation like any other milk coming from cow or sheep or goats. And, and I love that you're able to utilize it to sort of simulate the texture and the flavors that we all love, but in vegan style. Ah, chef, I want to make peanut butter pasta. You make simple fusilli or rotini, right? And then what to me sounds very Asian inspired, peanut butter and tamari and the rice vinegar with the ginger and the chili powder and the peas. This is very Indonesian style. Indonesian, yes. I just came back from Indonesia, spent another six weeks there. I was giving classes at the green school in Ubud. Mm, uh, when I came back from my classes that I gave in New Delhi in India, actually. And um, in Indonesia, it's amazing. It's, it's a real melting pot where all Asian flavors and Southeast Asian flavors are mixing. And I, I love this area for food. Mm. But something maybe you don't know is that the capital of the spices for over 3,000 years was in Muziris, India. And Roman, Phoenician, Greeks, everybody was going there to uh, get the spices. And the city disappeared overnight in 1341. Wow. It was a huge earthquake and a tsunami. And it's the province of Kerala in India. And they just found the first traces and ruins of this city seven years ago. I know there's a project from UNESCO uh, to rebuild a little bit uh, that space. But imagine that your uh, source of spice disappeared overnight. No. Yeah, and this changed completely again the way of cooking for, for generation mm. and generation because now you have to source your ingredients somewhere else. Fascinating. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. Tell us before I let you go about your new project in Thailand, the, the world's m most advanced vegan academy, right? Yeah. Well, it was a project that uh, we started a couple of years ago, but we opened the school exactly a month ago now in, uh, next to Wahin in Thailand. Mm. It's called the Blue Lotus. And I give master classes there to chefs from uh, big hotels around the planet like Six Sense Group or Peninsula Group. Yes. Chefs that stay with me for five days. And then I have also three chefs and instructors who give classes on a daily basis to anybody who wants to take vegan and raw food classes. So you just, call, just Google Blue Lotus Wahin, Wonderful. and you're going to have the website, all the information. I am there again from November the 4th for two weeks for master classes before going back to India. Mm. Uh, to give other classes. I would love to experience that, Jean-Christian. I think it's quite brilliant what you have done for the vegan movement and this extraordinary compilation of vegetable-driven recipes is so very impressive. I'm making baked papaya with coconut cream first, chef. <laughs> very good idea. It's a very, very good dish. Yes, it looks wonderful. Featuring yeah. dishes from countries ranging from Albania to Zambia, the new yeah. book entitled Vegan, the cookbook, showcases the culinary diversity of vegan cuisine. Is a, it is a, an ultra-impressive resource. And once again, kudos to you, Chef. Thanks for having me. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration. I do hope that I made you hungry and that you can get back to your backyard barbecue now. But do tune in every Sunday because if food is your fetish, well, then I am supplying 
the tools. I'll leave you with my last bite for this July 4th weekend, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the hour. I love pickles. Do you love pickles? Actually, I love anything pickled. Carrots, cauliflower, zucchini, especially red onions. If you take a peek in my fridge, you'll always find a mason jar of something pickled that is homemade. I think it's that bright, wonderful condiment that adds sweet, sour, zesty tang to everything, especially a backyard barbecue. So this week's last bite is an easy pickled red onion. Yes, They'll last for weeks in your fridge. You'll look like a culinary hero when you pull them out and say voila, but no one will know how truly simple they were. And it's not too late to make some easy pickled red onions for your Independence Day barbecue. You need one red onion and a couple of tablespoons of granulated sugar, plus salt, and then either rice wine vinegar or champagne vinegar work best, and then some aromatics like peppercorns or fennel seed, red pepper flakes, mustard seeds, orange peel, the list goes on. All you do is peel and slice the onion into half or rather quarter inch moons. If you can get them thin, the thinner the better. You bring a small pot of water to a boil. You put the onions into the water and just for 30 seconds and then you drain it. You're blanching the onions essentially to take the bite off. Then you combine the vinegar, the sugar, the salt, and the aromatics in a bowl or a mason jar. You stir to dissolve. You add the onions and you've made easy pickled red onions just that simple. You can leave them at room temperature about 30 minutes and you're ready to eat them right away and dig in. Or I like to store them in the fridge. They last up to a few weeks for the best flavor. And I will post my easy pickled red onions recipe right now on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I will meet you here next Sunday for lots more fabulous food and inspiration. You'll always find me serving up seconds at chefjamie.com with grilling recipes galore. I thank you for listening. I wish you... Uh, fireworks filled July 4th weekend, safe and delicious, of course. And I'll meet you here next Sunday. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Thanks for listening. And I hope you continue to eat well. (laughs) 